listeners and we're to episode 91 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you join us for the first time, we're a podcast about role-playing in the 41st millennium. If you're a long-time listener, you might notice a few changes now because we've got a new opening song for the show, or new opening bit of music. I've actually gone and licensed music for the show, so we've actually paid to use a track for the, the show going forward. I thought, you know, New Year, and of course Happy New Year as well, Happy New Year 2018. For a new year, we may as well shake things up a bit, you know, revamp the show a little bit. Yep. Uh, we've got the 100th show coming up in a few shows tomorrow, in 10 shows time anyway, so that'll be a big deal too, but I thought it's a good time to go and, you know, make some changes. I've got to also update the um, the end, the legal information at the end of the show as well, because it still refers to the now defunct Mevio site we got the old music from. It refers to Fantasy Flight being the, the, the owners as such, so I'll get that all fixed up and... Yeah. yeah, New Year, new show. I, I'm yeah. sure all the people are going to be hanging out to hear the new legal disclaimers at the end of That's the right, show. if you want to, you can fast forward and edit the show, hear that, and come back and listen to the rest of the show, and yeah, you might feel more fulfilled, I don't know. So, <laughs> uh, okay, so, anyway, getting back to it, we do talk about one of the 40k role-playing, particularly at the moment we're following the development of Wrath and Glory by Ulysses Games. Uh, we also talk about the older editions as well, and we've had some feedback in the past asking us to talk more about those editions, but for today's show... Uh, we've got a few things we want to go through. Actually, before we get into that, let's talk about our gaming over the past about a month. I think we yeah. did the last show just before Christmas. Yeah, just before Christmas. Uh, that's it. So we played plenty more 40k in the yep. time. Played um, some D&D. That's it, yeah. Did you, so did you... You racked up your first one. No, yeah, you... Sorry, because you, you... I still have you, not you, won a single game of 8th edition 8th 40k, edition. yes. Okay, no worries. But, uh, so I racked up an impressive loss. <laughs> that's right. So I, th- I thought... I was trying to remember, because you, you were playing at Steve using one of my armies, using salamanders and... Uh, yeah. yeah. The salamanders, I think their rule is... I don't say broken, but it's, it's quite powerful, you yeah, know, yeah. which is the ability to re-roll one missed hit and one missed wound every, every, t- every time some you know a unit attacks, so... Um, but no, so we, we've what we done? We, I played recently. I've, I walked over Steve's Thousand Sons last weekend as well. That was a bit of a brutal. Yeah, yeah. Final victory points thirty-one to one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel bad. So like, I, I don't want to be that guy that no one wants to play the game because of you know. So um, never, never be that guy. But uh, no, we did. We back up back into D and D again now. So that that game was on a slight hiatus while the GM was working on updating your stuff and we've gotten back into that now and in fact after the show after the last show we were playing a game after this show we're playing a game as well we're doing yep. D&D tonight um, as I say I think I probably haven't really run much else because we've been obviously had the, the Christmas break I uh, went away for Christmas and I took uh, a whole bunch of Imperial Guard and I sat there and I painted while my wife looked at me 
annoyingly for not looking after the kids. You know, while I, I was like, well, I'm on holidays, I'm relaxing. You know, you can look after the kids. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't quite that bad, but certainly <laughs> I, I did get a few models done. And, and actually, yeah. our, our local GW store has a it's not a competition; it's a challenge as such. The, the, first off, the store wants regular goers of the store to paint ten thousand points worth of figures in ten months. So by October this year, to have painted ten thousand points worth now. I don't think it'll be a problem for the whole store. There's already one person's put up about an 800 point jeans to the moment they painted since Christmas. I've thrown in a few figures. I've just finished my night now, so my Imperial night. So I'm up to about a thousand points painted since Christmas. Yeah. But um, yeah, once they've hit the 10,000 points for the store, they're doing a challenge to see if any single person can paint 10,000 points in 10 months. So uh, that's a lot tougher. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Also, because um, my six-year-old son has been hassling me for ages getting to forty k. So I finally said to him, "Okay, what side do you want to play?" And Mike, you convinced him that assault marines were the best things. You know, I did not. Oh, sorry, somebody, it was somebody, standard six-year-old logic. These guys are the best. Okay, if you say so. Yeah, well, that was it. That's it. Your, your failure to contradict me that, as far as he's concerned, the only marines he wants to play is assault marines. I'm like, okay, what faction do you want to play? Assault marines. I'm like, okay, well, in Marines, let's just see. What are some more assaulty force? I offered him Blood Angels or Space Wolves or possibly Dark Angels, and he was Raven like, Guard. Raven Guard. Well, I mean, I, I wanted to show him stuff he could see at the store as well. So oh, okay. that's it. And he, and he went straight for Blood Angels, so I bought him the Blood Angels starter box. And he's not interested in painting himself; he wants me to paint it. So that'll be a um, a thing for me. And as it stands, our local store is also doing like a uh, finish a start collecting box paint it's called start painting it's actually part of the malign portents thing they're doing for um uh age of sigma but yep. local store is actually allowing you also to do a start collecting box for 40k as well so i'm going to try and get his blind angels painted before the deadline of that and submit that for that little painting comp as well so okay yeah, 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 yeah. uh that's probably it for our, our gaming in recent times you know, yeah i'm sure well, other than 40k computer games and things like that oh that's yeah, right you've it. gotten heavy back into um marta haven't you yeah yeah inquisition mar they just released their latest patch update which brought in the psyker let's do that in the news shall we yeah, yeah that's it because we, we do talk about games in the news uh and then uh, that's it so today's show we will do the news uh we've got another designer diary has dropped from ulysses that we'll go through uh we've also had a, a listener request for us to discuss something as well it's actually Rather than just addressing it in our community section into the, the show, we might actually talk about it at length in like a whole segment as well. Because I think it's quite a cool topic to discuss. Yeah. So we'll do that as well, and uh, yeah, then we'll do our regular section and close out the show. So, okay. without further ado, and without blowing out our start time once again by a ridiculous amount, let's get into the show proper. Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial Archives. All right. So onto the news. Yeah. And uh, to start off, we'll start off with the the role playing news. So we mentioned before that this new designer diary has dropped from Ulysses Games, done by Ross on Wrath and Glory. We'll talk about the main topic of that in the next part of the show, but uh, let's also mention the fact that as a part of that, or um, just before that, we saw the release of six pieces of artwork of uh, characters from Wrath and Glory, uh, released sort of sequentially over a few days on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can still find there on Twitter and on Facebook, also on the... Um, Wrath and Glory website at Ulysses US as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so first off, I mean, the artwork I think is quite nice, all by the same artist. Uh, we've seen six archetypes here, all Imperial. Um, I, I think to a large extent, I'd say that... So we've got, we've got a Commissar, Crusader, uh, Minister and Priest, Sister of Battle, Sister of Hospital, uh, and Death, Death, Death Cold Assassin. Assassin. And, and, you know, you can say that four of those, at least, are heavily tied 
to the, to the, to the Ministorum. That's it, yeah. So yeah. I, I was sort of wondering initially, so I, I guess I saw two avenues for these bits of artwork as possible reasons for why we saw these ones. First off was in the Revelations book that we saw at Gen Con, there were some little fiction sections and uh, those sections are revolved around the same characters except for the old art bit, obviously. Uh, and one of those included the female commissar, so I thought maybe these might be like the iconic characters for uh, for Wrath and Glory. I've seen plenty of RPGs like to have sort of iconic characters. I see that all the time with Sion, for example, and we saw that with White Wolf in the past as well. We saw it all the way back as far as third D&D when it first came out. They had their set oh, characters. Oh, that's true, yeah, exactly right. Like Litter, the, the halfling rogue and, and something. And yeah. uh, Millie or something, the, the yeah. monk. Yep, yep, yeah, because so. they tried to justify having a monk in this. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, but, um, yeah, so that was that was one possible thought. That being said, though, in the story, for example, we saw a Space Marine Scout was one of the characters, and that wasn't one of the ones we got artwork for. They just may not have finished all the artwork, or they may not have released all the artwork. There's yeah, always me, that option as well. spe- Let me finish my speculation, and you can do your speculation. Uh, so the other thing I thought was, I mean, the iconic characters we saw with Rogue Trader, like with Savras, Trask, and that sort of thing, we found out later on they were basically the characters that were played by the design group while they were playtesting the game. So maybe it's possible that these six characters, the ones that the playtesters have been or the, you know, the, the designers are playtesting with, it's possible. It's possible. Um, I don't know. But I, yeah, I mean, it could just be literally these are the first six bits of art that the artist finished. You know, but I'll be honest, I think that's more the case. Well, anything else that they, they, so they did these six and like, hey, that's it. You know, these are the last, this is all we're doing and now I have a vote to see which is your favourite, which I think the Commissar won. Yeah. But it was done weird. Like it wasn't, the vote wasn't for all six. It was like, one of these three was the first three options, or one of the other three was the options. Like, you know, you like, you like the Commissar, Commissar, Death Cross, Assassin, Crusader, or one of the other three. I don't remember which one. I just said the Commissar was in that first group, and the Commissar won that. One of the other three didn't win that, so it didn't go on to a second round of voting, I guess. Yeah. But um, maybe the person creating the poll just didn't have much time and had to go, <laughs> didn't have enough time to type all the various options. Maybe their poll only had four options. That's true. You're right. They're on the they're on the trial version still. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, anyway, but really nice artwork. Uh, there were some. You had some little little niggling complaints, Mark. I heard some complaints that they weren't particularly grim dark enough. That they weren't dirty enough, and I, I not enough that, skulls. That yeah. sort of thing. Look, the usual complaints. I broke the usual rules. I, I, I read the comments. Okay, and, and there were some comments I know in the Minister and Priest one on Facebook about someone saying he's too clean and. He spends all his time in vaults and you know in churches where it's very dusty and you know it should be represented on his clothing. But um, I think that it will depend. So it comes down to how it appears on the page. Yeah. You know? And looking at Revelations, we saw there was you know it was full full bleed artwork across the whole page. It wasn't just white background. Looking at what um, Ulysses has done with things like the dark eye, you know that's very nicely typeset in very sort of colourful pages. Actually, while I'll talk about the dark eye too. Um, I'm going to divert you. Know, that's odd of me to sort of go off topic, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so I didn't realise this, but there are actually a couple of Dark Eye derived computer games. Uh, so I don't know if we've spoken much about what the Dark Eye actually is, which is Ulysses' main thing, and, and I'll go through it again just in case. But from what I understand, so Games Workshop were originally the importer of Dungeons and Dragons into the UK, for example. And for whatever reason, at the time that Dungeons and Dragons was having its its huge success. Uh, it couldn't be brought into Germany. I don't know if it was import restrictions or legal restrictions, whatever the case was, they just couldn't get Dungeons & Dragons released in Germany, but there was a belief that the German you know, gaming populace would have a desire for a, 
fantasy RPG. Uh, and so um, the Schwarzer Auger or the, the Dark Eye was created at the time by Ulysses to be a fantasy RPG to sort of fit that, that D&D need for the German audience. And it's been popular ever since. And it's now available in the English version um, from Ulysses US as well. Uh, I haven't yet played the RPG. It, it, looking through it, from what I can see, I, I got the quick start rules that came out during um, Free RPG Day recently. But uh, it, it looks a bit crunchier than, say, D&D. Like, you know, you've got a lot more stats. It reminds me almost of... Um, what's that old computer game they made that uh, was like an RPG system that was really great where you had to sort of get, re- restart the shield? Thunderscape. Oh. Thunderscape, yeah. It's, it's got a lot more sort of stats and a lot of the stats remind me of things like Thunderscape. It's a very involved RPG system, but I quite like the look of it. But what I'm getting at here is the fact that I recently saw when I went to um, a local electronics boutique, which is our version of GameStop, uh, that there was a game called Blackguards 2, which is from the Dark Eye setting. Uh, on, it was on Xbox, but it's also available on PC. And further examination tells me there's a dark, there's a Blackguards one as well. Really? PC, PC only. That's shocking. Yeah, which I found on Steam for two dollars on special. Uh, so I picked it up, and it's actually quite an enjoyable RPG. It, it's very different to the style I'm used to. Like I like the sort of the Baldur's Gate style, you know, Bioware Black Library RPG, like sorry, Black Isle RPGs. And this one's a bit different. It's it sort of Rather than having a conventional sort of walking around the dungeon map thing, your map is sort of shown as like a top-down, almost like a flowchart with individual rooms being action points along the line, and you simply select the next one you travel to and your characters automatically advance to the next room, and then it goes into like an isometric-style battle map with hex hexes, basically, you move around and attack on. And yeah. Some people have compared it to like a cross between a conventional RPG and a puzzle game, in that you know each, each sort of fight, there's things you've got to work out, how to use the environment, how to, you know, knock over crates or set fire oil on the ground or lure your opponents to walk through dangerous terrain, that sort of stuff, and I was actually, um, <laughs> so I played it the other day, and I had a fight where I needed to get across the map in a certain number of turns, but there were quite a few bad guys along the way, and there were, there were quite a few, uh, there were like two major bottlenecks, so I was like, okay, you've got to fight through all the bad guys in these bottlenecks, and uh, I, I knew it was going to take me like a couple of turns just to get to the first bottleneck. So, and there was like something I could set fire to that. So I set fire to that at that first bottleneck, and it, and it created this sort of wall of fire across this bridge. And in the turn for me to get there, like five bad guys ran through the fire to get to me, and all of them died as they tried to cross through the fire. I'm like, okay, the AI is interesting, and it's like, oh yeah, that guy died, but surely I'll make it. <laughs> so, oh, just step on his corpse that holds the fire out of the way. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, that's how fire works. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it did make the fight a lot easier. I, I, I actually I had to run through the fire too because the fire didn't go out, but it did a lot establish my character. These are the multitudes of NPCs that were designed just to tar pit me trying to get across yeah. Um, but yeah so I, I would recommend checking it out Blackguards it's called it's $2 on Steam last I checked even Blackguards 2 like $3 on Steam so yeah, you can't go wrong I think, I think there's some bundle for 10 bucks where you can get every game produced by that particular game producer as well Yeah. Uh, but I'm, yeah, I'll get back on topic now um, I think that the artwork style if it's akin to what um, uh, to what we've seen with the other books that Ulysses have done I think it will go well with the book with the full bleed artwork they'll look nice when they're put in there and I think it may once you get a few skulls and machines in the background it will have a very grim dark feel anyway. yeah, so, yeah that's my thoughts yeah. too and it makes me look more forward to the book 
and, and we also saw some questions in the Designer Diary as well, some people asking about things like, you know, where you, will you do more with Death Watch? And actually, uh, Ulysses did do uh, two bundles of holding racing on Drive Through RPG where you could buy the old um, PDFs for all the original Dark Heresy and that something sort of books. Or I think it was just for Dark Heresy initially. You buy those cheap in two different bundles. That's finished now as of a record. I think it was last Friday that finished. But it was a good opportunity to pick up and complete your collection if you didn't already have it. Uh, whereas I've already got all the books anyway, and most of them as PDFs too. So, but uh, yeah, no, it was nice to do that. Actually, while we mention that too, it's um, I've seen very little to do with uh, Cubicle Sevens, Warhammer uh, Fantasy stuff. You know, either yeah, Age of which is a shame because I've been looking forward to running something like that or, or getting it's back. Fantasy or Age of Sigma? Fantasy. Okay, fantasy. Yeah, so old, old, old world then. Basically. Old world. I don't know enough about Age of Sigma. I haven't really read enough of it so I, I started I actually say. getting back into well I'm not, I'm not really getting into the matter I'm not, I'm not going to start playing Age of Sigma but I curiosity got the best of me I decided to sort of find out what has actually changed in the you know, Age of Sigma setting and seeing things like the fact that you know pretty much all the elves have been eaten by Slanesh now in, in fantasy as well but there's I think that people are suspecting that this whole malign portent thing going on right now will be um, the way they bring elves back into the meta again but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that they've... Well, talking with my local GW, the guy there was telling me that um, he draws a lot of parallels between where Age of Sigmar was and where 40k is now. Because he said when Age of Sigmar first came out, it was a hot mess of you know, unbalanced units and clear, clear win strategies. Oh, we had some ridiculous things in it yeah, as well. Yeah, characters that literally couldn't be beaten and summoning swarms and swarms and more stuff that didn't work on points. And, you know, GW went to a lot of effort to actually bring the game back to a balanced state. Uh, and I think better than others have done. I, I know that... Um, so, another local game store I go to, not the GW, but another one, they're really big on Magic. And there was a post on their website recently that Magic the Gathering recently had um, a, an update come from Wizards of the Coast to say that two of the cards in their most recent set had been banned for tournament play. And it's not like banning cards is uncommon with Magic, especially with those sort of heavy tournament games to keep the better going, but it's pretty rare to see it happen so close to the release of the new set. And they basically said it was because they looked at tournament figures and they were finding that, like, you know, one particular tournament, 20% of the decks going into the tournament uh, were built around these two cards, and that later in the tournament they were seeing it was up to, like, 30%. And the win rate on decks with these cards was way too high, or you know, it was yeah. The only, the only times they were really challenged was during mirror matches where you were playing against the same deck, and therefore it just came down to who the better player was. Yeah. And yeah, so they've obviously had to react to you know. I, my personal feeling is maybe it's a sign of inadequate play testing. Although I don't know how easy it is to play test something that has the the, the length and breadth that Magic: The Gathering has now after all these additions and all these expansion sets. Um, but I mean, so we even saw the same figures recently from ITC on 40k about the armies that have been brought to tournaments as well. Um, Mike, you and I were talking before, and you were sort of comparing it to say having, you know, we, we see at these tournaments for 40k a lot of Space Marine armies, uh, and that's not necessarily to say that Space Marines are a clear win. You know, uh, in fact, I'd say probably Eighth Edition that it's probably like Guard or Tyrion. It's probably the forces to beat. Uh, but I think it would be more concerning for things like, you know, 70% of 
you know, forces being brought to ITC battles had Robert Kuhlman, for example. You know, that, that would be a, a clear indicator that, you know, that they'd overdone the, that particular figure. And look, they have fact Gulliman, you know, they fact conscripts four times, your Imperial Guard. Yeah. You, you pretty much wouldn't take conscripts now, I think. You could probably argue that. They've they, gone too far. They, they overfacted, exactly right, yeah. So, um, <laughs> at least in the case of this, it's not like you would have had to buy conscript miniatures and they're all now useless. So you can just paint over the white stripe and make, use them as regular guard. But I've certainly seen, I'm sure, Mike, you've bought figures in the past because we've been playing 40k for many editions that there's figures you've got that you just wouldn't use These days. in this version of the game. Yeah, we were talking the other day about whether possessed are actually a, a, viable, a, de- a viable option. option yeah, they're chaos. okay, but they're not great. Um, probably I'd go with normal dreadnoughts, hell brutes for chaos. Yeah. yeah they're a bit eh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I've got plenty of things in my 40k treasure chest that I probably wouldn't bring out in this edition. I, yeah. I, just, I just don't think that they're worth the points or that they they perform. And look, I, I actually had a conversation just earlier today with someone saying that they felt that Terminators were just not where it's at in this edition. You know, that for the for the points cost, that the deep strike tax is just too high. Yeah, and and he basically felt that yeah that he wouldn't use Terminators. And look, I've certainly seen plenty of beardy sort of ways of misusing Terminators like giving 10 Terminators all combi plasma and then making them the, the symbol of selection and having them fire twice and getting off like you know 80 supercharged shot 3 rolling 1 if they're within range of a deep striking Chaos Lord as well so which you know that's <laughs> bit messed up 80 or 40 40 still you know 40 strength 8 shots minus 3 AP is a or minus 4 AP sorry is a <laughs> is going to make a, a mess deal, of a lot yeah. of things yeah but look, I mean, getting back to it, I think that GW do a very good job of managing their meta. Certainly better than they have in the past. There were certainly editions in the past where it's just like, well, this is what it is, deal with it. Um, but certainly I think that they've done a lot better now. And uh, So that was the analogy that this guy was drawing, was that you know, Age of Sigma has become, gone from being a hot mess to a very well-put-together, tournament-ready game with lots of different options that are all viable. And he feels that you know they're getting, that, they're getting there now with 40K as well. Yeah. You know, we've got 10 codexes. They still need some more. Um, yeah, they're, they're going... It's going quite well, anyway. Yeah. So, I guess, speaking of 40k now, specifically, uh, I mean, what have we seen from 40k recently? We saw Chaos Demons came out. Uh, we've seen announcements now for uh, Adeptus Custodes and for Thousand Suns. Yeah. That, that announcement, like... So, that was, like, I think, right on like, the Warhammer... World Day or something? Yeah, the War, Warham- uh, Open Day at Warhammer Open World. Open Day at World, that's it. And, you know, there was this big, you know, they had the whole leak about the White Dwarf that said next one's going to have gold, gold, lots of gold, and big announcement coming at Warhammer World. Would you say the community were underwhelmed by the Custodies release? or Some were. It, it depends on who you talk to. I mean, a lot of players are really thrilled by it, and then there are others who are like, oh, well, it's just more elite humans, it's just more space marines. Yeah. Personally, I'm more of the opinion that it is a big thing. For a start, it's the first new army as an actual army on its own since Tau. Yeah, rather, rather than just a few units. Like, you know, up until yeah. now, them and Sisters of Silence have been pretty much just like a couple of troops. Yeah, really yeah. Uh, I so. mean, and they've been around since Rogue Trader days, so it's not like they've just pulled them out of nothing. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good sign. I, I see no problems with it. Um, I'll certainly be interested to see the codex, see what's in there, and, yeah. and how much stuff they can have. Um, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. Like, One of the reasons that I like Space Marines in this edition is because there are so many choices. 
you know, I, I, I can cover the table with so many different army options. And my, my biggest concern with custodians would be that, you know, right now they've got, you know, an option. You know, they've got a custodian guard, you know, it's a squad that can be customised a little bit, you know, whether they've got guardian spears or shields. But, you know, I'd like to see, you know, they need to have, for me, probably at least 10 total options as far as different troop, elite, HQ... I mean, without seeing the codex, can't really say. And we know for a fact that the Forge World stuff will be available as well. That's true. We've seen that those jet bikes have got look really nice. The the plastic jet bikes look amazing. The old resin ones from Forge World look amazing as well. So it would be good to see them side by side, see an actual comparison of size. That's my interest there. So you're going to be investing stocks in retributor armor, paint, no more for... (laughs) <laughs> I know. I, I'm not sure I would go custodies. I'd be, I'm interested yeah. because it is an army that you could throw together and paint up, and you could have a small model count. You know, easy to do. Have a complete army. You know, twenty models. Yeah. <laughs> go from there. And I, I do love some of the alternate paint schemes. Um, Ixian Hales, black and purple armor. Yeah. There's, a, there's a paint scheme you can look that up on Google if you want. Uh, looks very very nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to buy the Codex. So I've got 10 Custodes figures, you know, in, in, in my 40k set. So Obviously uh, that requires the entire Codex. It does, it obviously does, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And um, I, I was just surprised because, uh, so I mentioned those ITC stats before. I think that of tournament lists, there were like 1.2% or something of total tournament lists from 8th edition were regarded as Agents of the Imperium, which includes like Inquisitors, Inquisitors Custodians, Sisters of Silence, or something. Yeah, but I mean, they didn't have many options. Why yeah. would you go into a tournament with Custodies yeah, if right. they've They're got really like more half a, a dozen options? Really more of a super army. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they go in with allies for other stuff as well. And we'll see how they go. I mean. A lot of people have concerns about the fact that they're going to struggle against horde armies because they've just got too few model count. But I think they've done a lot to try and improve that now with the fact they've got this resistance to smite or resistance to basically model wounds in general in the psychic phase. Because um, yeah, because every guy that dies is going to hurt. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, any highly elite army will struggle against horde. Yeah, but that's the downside of those armies. I mean, it's like saying, well, my horde army struggles to take out big tanks. Yeah. Well, don't play a horde army. <laughs> Every army has strengths and weaknesses, and that, you know. I guess that's one of the problems of having few choices, is that some armies have a very clear tactic. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think back to the orc game I played recently, where that orc player tried to play a very shooty orc army, and he just struggled. It just didn't work out well for him, because... Yeah. yeah. A shooty orc army with not any halt. I mean, yeah. he had like what one squad of boys. Uh, yeah, one one squad of boys, and that squad of boys wasn't even in a truck. Yeah, so. see, that's just the wrong way to play the army. It's like it's like from fantasy taking a Skaven army, then complaining that they've got low leadership. Well, <laughs> of course they do. They're Skaven. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, oh, my undead army's slow. Well, yeah, they're they're, they're a bunch of shambling zombies and, and shambling bones. They're, they're gonna be slow. You've got to play to the strengths of the army That's true. and if you try and play it otherwise you can't then complain that the army doesn't work yeah. you know it's like me taking my corn army and trying to fill it out with devastators and havocs and shooting units and then going oh well they're not very good <laughs> well the thousand suns announcement surprised me a bit too because i sort of thought that you know thousand suns got a lot of love right towards the seventh edition and i sort of thought well, maybe they're not going to get something until the end of 
of eighth, but I guess you raise the point, I think, quite rightly so. I guess there's recent models and recent updates, all those players that bought those things are going to want to have the option to use those. You know, in Plus, it's easy to do. They've already got most of the framework for a Chaos Army done in the Chaos Codex. They've got the fluff written already in the in the previous Codex in the last edition. Yeah. There's not really a lot they have to do to release that book for 8th edition straight away. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got a thousand some to play in our current narrative campaign group, so he'll appreciate having some more options, I guess, with these thousand sons too. So, yeah, yeah. some stratagems, definitely. Actually, speaking of the, the Demon Codex, too, I've heard that there are some people who are raising concern about the handling of keywords. Um, yeah, with the a... de- mainly to do with the Demon Stratagems, like the question of can you use Chaos Demon Stratagems on Demon characters that don't appear in the Chaos Demon book that well, appear in like. According Chaos to their FAQs and their designer diaries, you can. Personally, I think they need to nerf that one stratagem which lets you deep strike whatever you want. And people are talking about deep striking Lords of Skulls and all that sort of thing. I think they need to change that to maybe infantry or no Lords of War. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Mortarian and, and um, Magnus are the two that I think a lot of people are really worried yeah. about getting deep deep strike right on top of him. Especially Mortarian, because before the only way to get him up the field fast enough was through some shenanigans to get him... Um, Warp time, yeah. or have an allied sorcerer cast warp time on him, and the fact he's got a bubble which is a damaging bubble too. Yeah, so yeah, having, having him deep strike bubble. right in the middle of the army is, is going to be painful. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, especially when especially when that enemy's army is so bunched up. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It, so, but yeah, I will see. I mean, I, the speculation I heard was that they might end up um, uh, facking that. But we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 I'd that, say they'd definitely end up facking yeah. that stratagem at least. And maybe more. But they, I mean, they've been good with that. They they fact um, Blood Angels and Dark Angels recently, and that was they were relatively minor things. That there wasn't major flaws out that they had to go and fix up in a hurry. It was just a couple of things they decided to, you know, improve the wording on and change the unit selection options slightly. And yeah, well, it wasn't broken. It was it was well done. You know, I'm yeah. I'm still hoping that Tyranids will get fact. I'm, I, I I I personally still feel that Tyranids are, are overpowered in this edition. And I'm, this is one who's playing guard who are also overpowered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nah, I'm I'm quite happy for my nids. I haven't played them. I have to be honest, I'm not gripped by my Tyranids at the moment and a desire to put the army together and paint it and play it. It just... Just just spray them one colour, just get it, like, buy, like, four pots of ink, pour it over them, you know, dry brush them, done. (laughs) You can do a whole army like that. You know, if you an airbrush, even better. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I have over 120 gaunts of various types to do. I'm in no mood to actually do them. So just dip them in the ink. Just dip them as you go. <laughs> dip. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, I mean, it, it, once again, this isn't really gotten my interest again. I, I, I do apologise to listeners of this show who are only here for the, for the RPG and have just put up with 20 minutes plus of war game talk. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> certainly, it's, it's one thing that's keeping us going. Waiting for the RPG. Waiting for the RPG to come out, yeah. Okay, what about on the video game side? We've seen an announcement now about a new video game, uh, which is Betrayal at Kauf. Yep. Which, so I haven't seen the actual gameplay trailer. I've only seen the single trailer, which has the Ultramarine fighting. I haven't seen any actual trailers, but I've seen tiny snippets of video on their Facebook page about how it's going to play. So we know it's a turn-based strategy. Yep. Okay. It's also... VR elements. There are VR. You can play it VR or standard. Uh, I'm, I'm unsure of how 
VR would work really well with a turn-based strategy. Yeah. yeah I, so, so this is like this is not really VR, but so the other I've been playing through again recently the old um, Batman like Arkham Knight, Arkham Asylum games, that sort of stuff, and they inspire me once again to pull out the recent uh, Tomb Raider games. Yeah. So Rise of Tomb Raider and Tomb, the original Tomb Raider, and uh, I've been playing them on my Xbox, and there's some new feature now they've patched in where. At certain points in the game, it brings up this little camera mode, which indicates you're in sort of position mode, and it's actually watching your connect on the Xbox. So if, if you move your body side to side, it actually rotates the camera around the scene using your body motion to control the in-game camera, yeah. um, which was odd. You know, the first time I sort of leaned, leaned over to get a drink, and suddenly I'm looking at the character from the other angle as such. I wasn't quite ready for that. And the fact that it also works with... Um, uh, the voice activated thing as well so invariably like my, I have my daughter in the room babbling away and suddenly the character will suddenly change weapons or throw a grenade or something like that, you know? so <laughs> <laughs> it misinterprets what my daughter's babble means yeah but, your, uh, your, your daughter is babbling tactical speak of throw grenade <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah but um, yeah so I mean VR in a 40k computer we'll see how it goes yep. I'm, I'm not sure um you said before you've gotten back into playing Marta. Yes, and, yes, and I, yeah. I think I, I think I belittled it last time on the show, but apparently, well, I actually did play a little bit myself last night, and it has vastly improved. It's a massive update yeah. and improvement. They released the update on the tenth or the eleventh, I think it was, yeah. and they brought Psyker into the third character option. Yeah. Um, and mind, each option is three sub options as well. So yes. have got nine sub options now between the options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, so. Um, so you've got Psyker now with a new psychic heat system so they work like laser weapons where you build up psychic heat which if you build up too much it causes damage to you because you're using too much warp energy yeah. sounds pretty standard um, works well the game certainly plays a lot better than the first time I tried playing it yeah. um, melee weapons actually do something yeah. well, you bad guys do- don't destroy cover in seconds yeah. um you know, all, all the stuff which was severely broken has been fixed up, but there are still some some glitches that they need to fix. Yeah. For example, the shop doesn't work properly on my computer. I'm not sure why. Some people don't complain about the problem, but I can't buy things okay. unless I have to click and drag items over to sell them instead of just right-clicking on them. Yeah. And when I drop it, it very briefly for about a second and a half maybe half a second shows the items that are there and I have to grab one and, and quickly buy it if okay. I want to buy something <laughs> which is uh, a, oh, not the best way of doing things building a hand-eye coordination Mike yeah yeah <laughs> um, but look, it's to the point now that I would actually recommend it as a like you know how you can with Steam you can do the pre-order or the um, early access buy yeah, I would actually recommend it now for that. Like, you know, yeah, I, I mean, it, it is fifty bucks, which is quite a lot for an early access game. I will be honest. Yeah, fifty dollars for an early access when it is still just an alpha build is quite a lot. I have to comment that that price point seems exceptionally high. Yeah, but it is a good game and it plays well. And I've probably whacked in thirty hours over the last week yeah. and a bit. Missing some audio files though. I know that's when I was playing it a few times. Like the subtitles would appear for sound that wasn't actually playing yeah yeah, and there, there's plenty of times when you'll see cutscenes and it'll have placeholder text yeah. written in big letters across the bottom of it and things like that and yeah like, like in transition scenes where it's like for the location it will just show up like placeholder things yeah, yeah. And I mean it's to be unexpected I, I'd rather they work on the actual gameplay and making sure everything works properly 
then work on them making it look pretty at the moment. It's still yeah. an alpha build, they can make it look pretty later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's really it on the video game side. So, yeah, I don't I know, so. Did I mention last time about the Imperial Guard expansion for... Um, uh, which I know I've been playing recently um, from 40k. Uh, I sound terrible here. We're looking for my desktop now. Um, the one over the Space Wolves. Um, oh, yeah. You know the one? Uh, Sanctus Reach. Yeah. Yeah, so there is there is now a Imperial Guard expansion for Sanctus Reach. So your wolves um, can butcher Imperial Guard? No, or so you, you can, can play... You can, you can get Imperial Guard to butcher orcs. Ah, oh, yeah. that's and, okay. and, and the De- Lehman, Rush, Lehman Rush Punisher is as awesome as it is in the war game. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, 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 I rate I, it. I'd just like to say that in uh, Inquisitor Martyr, I got to fight against a Lehman Rush Demolisher. Yep. Not fun. Yeah, did, did you melee it? Did you go in there with a sword? No, in the end I ended up <laughs> shooting it from a distance with explosive rounds. Okay, alright. <laughs> Getting close to it was exceptionally painful. Why were you fighting clearly an Imperial tank if you were playing Inquisitor? <laughs> because sometimes the Imperial Guard, through a lack of faith and discipline, fall to heresies. <laughs> or are suspected to maybe fall to heresies. So as an Inquisitor, it's best just to make sure. Yep. <laughs> There's plenty of just making sure in this game, I will just point out, that you kill a lot of loyalists who might possibly be corrupted. There's one um, there's one YouTube channel I watch currently for Battle Reports called Glacial Geek, and uh, he primarily plays Dark Angels, and it seems a lot of his opponents are playing Imperial characters as well, and every time they do a fight, he always comes up with a narrative reason at the start of the game for why these two sides are fighting. And obviously, when it's another Imperial force, it's a bit harder, but he's gotten out towards the point he's using things like, you know... Yeah, the Imperial Guard was sent here to destroy a Chaos Space Marine force, and in reality, there was no Chaos Space Marine force. It was a bad communication, and it's actually you know loyalist Dark Angels there, but nobody's told them otherwise. So they're just like, "There's Space Marines, kill them!" <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, dear, dear. Yeah, they've got armor. They're armor's dark. They must be evil. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, okay. So let's get out of the news and get into um, our first discussion for the day. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. Okay, so let's go into a bit more detail on the designer diary we saw in January from from Ross, uh, and it's talking more about character creation. And uh, so we've learned a few new things here. We've confirmed a few speculations we had from our last episode as well, which is that um, so you've got your character archetype, okay, and an archetype may be described as an imperial commissar, for example, and, and they describe some of the pictures that they had um, on the website as archetypes, so we can we can at least put a, probably draw a line that there's probably a commissar, a tech priest, a sister hospitaller, a death cult assassin, crusader, and a sister of battle as possible archetypes. And looking over to Dark Heresy, which had six original archetypes that you could use, I think that these ones are a lot more specific. So... My, my initial thought is there's probably more than just these six. Yes. Um, especially because two of them are gender-locked. Yeah, being Sister Hospitaller and Sister of Battle. So, uh, un- unless the archetype is a lot more open and it's like, you know, Warrior, which could cover Crusader. But then again, you've got Commissar as an archetype in the example they've used. So. Yeah, I think they're going to be a lot more specific. Like, they're pretty much like they are there, I think. It is yeah. going to be very, very specific. And there could be pages and pages of them. Yeah, it's possible, I don't know. So, I mean, it, we don't know exactly how much of a benefit the archetype really gives, or if it gives any benefit. Yeah, well, they said they've got their... So they said, in, in there's what they've got their own distinct flavour, 
and special abilities set it apart from others. Yeah. So there's obviously like you know things that are unique to each archetype that you could utilize. Uh, so it says once you select your species, such as human, orc, Eldar, and so forth, you select your archetype. Obviously, I'm going to say that probably Imperial Commissar. You can't have an Eldar Imperial Commissar. I'm You're suggesting you can't have an orc sister of battle. <laughs> well, maybe not in the core game. <laughs> but um, my Tyranid Space Marine is going to be most disappointed. Yeah, that's it. Gaunt Space Marine. Exactly. So then it says once you once you've done that, character creation is very free form, letting you build the character that you want. Uh, so there are a series of attributes and skills that we speculated that it was probably most games most problems have some form of high level characteristic some form of low level skill um, and then it mentions that there are a few rare talents so I want to find that rare talents thing now think about the Fantasy Flight and Black Industries um, RPGs we play with, with Dark Heresy it wasn't uncommon for a high level character to have 15, 20 talents, talents, you know. And a lot of those talents really fed into what you could or couldn't do in close combat. So, for example, being able to effectively wield a pistol in one hand and a sword in the other, which multiple characters do in the, in the meta, you know, required at least two talents, I'm pretty sure. From yeah, ambidexterity, two yep. weapon fighting. We need, so you need ambidexterity and you need two weapon fighting melee and two weapon fighting ballistic. So that's three, so three talents just to make, you know, to make that effective as such. So I'm going here on the fact that Ross, who is working on this, has a lot of background in Savage Worlds. Uh, he did Savage Rifts. He, um, his, own, um, his own setting as well, had, I think, was, was derived from Savage Worlds too. And Savage Worlds is a game system where a high-level character might have four to five talents. So I'm wondering whether um, maybe Wrath and Glory, the talents are a lot more powerful, a lot more specific, but, but also a lot harder to a lot get. Harder to get, yeah. That, that's, yeah. that's sort of my, my thinking. Yeah. I don't know if they, they maybe they use like a leveling system, like they had with the tiers in um, Dark Heresy, for example, and maybe you know one one per that. I'm not sure. Um, maybe your um, archetype ability gets better as you get better. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it just it just feels like you know each talent would therefore be a major decision and a major point of defining your character. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, interesting way of taking, it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so each archetype also provides your character's equipment, gear that you can customize if you wish. So I'm guessing then that a sister battle would get, for example, Sororitas pattern power armor and a goblin Diaz pattern bolter, for example. Um, Maybe. Maybe. Maybe customization. Maybe you could have a Sir Kristen Patton Bowler, for example. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, okay, then he mentions the fact that character generation also provides the hero with keywords. Uh, and this is interesting because this keywords thing is something that's come straight out of 40k, 40K the, uh, the um, tabletop Tab game. Yeah. That's it. So in the tabletop game, the keywords are used to define. Um, where your character fits into a force organization, but also what they can benefit from. So you look at a lot of like you know commander powers in the game. They will allow characters of the same chapter or of the same regiment, in, for example, to be able to re-roll attack rolls in the uh, in the war game. So maybe something similar here. Like you know you might find that um, what would be an example. So say I've got a 
influencing skill, you know, that is used to, you know, bring people across to my way of thinking in the game. It might be specific to only Imperium characters. You know, if I'm an Imperial character, I can only influence other, you know, I'm not that good at influencing Eldar, I just don't know their ways, you know, or influencing heretics or, yeah. you know, whatever the case may be. Um, it could be down to things like, I don't know, maybe individual... Uh, well, uh, in Inquisitor Martyr, yep. each weapon or item has keywords associated to it. Okay. So only assassins can use exotic weapons. Okay. It could be something similar to that. Yeah, okay. I mean, we don't know if the keywords are going to be Imperium or keywords are going to be exotic or bolter yeah, or flame. It. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I sort of thought, like... Looking at the fact that they, they it, it feels like they pulled keywords from the from the from the forty k um, war game, so I thought maybe they'd use some keywords. But you're quite right; it could be things more like along those lines where you've got they're more esoteric terms as such. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Good yes. Evil. <laughs> it, it could be. I mean, it, I mean, there might be a demonic keyword, yeah. and only someone who has the demonic keyword can use. Chaos rituals, or chaos corrupted bolt guns, or demon weapons, or who knows what. Yeah. Or it could be a case that the keyword could be fire, and well, only someone who's got the fire keyword can use flamers and whatever. Right. It, it depends. As long as orcs get two keywords, one being brutally cunning, other being cunningly brutal, I'll be happy. As long as they get the keyword <laughs> shooty, it's all good. What about stabby? <laughs> choppy. Choppy, sorry, choppy, that's right, yeah. <laughs> shooty or choppy. <laughs> and you then you need big shooty as well. Yeah, big shooty. <laughs> okay. But, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean the keywords thing is an interesting element they brought across from the from the war game presumably into this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Course, I'm so. certainly going to be interested to see how far the keywords goes. Whether it's just with gear and stuff like that, or it is actually down to how your talents work, who you can influence with skills, if you get bonuses dealing with people with the same keywords, or if you know, you suffer penalties when you're dealing with people with different keywords. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. I guess it's one of the interesting challenges I see that the ULCS guys have got is the fact they made it pretty clear from the start that part of their design intent was to make this game feel uniquely 40k while also feeling distinct from the preceding RPGs. Yeah. And of course the preceding RPGs felt 40k. So how do you capture those same elements in such a way that it's familiar to the to the theme without being familiar to the additional rule set that you're you're trying to you're trying to basically separate yourself from yeah yeah i think they can do it i think that um you know from what i've read about ross stuff in the past and you know seeing all the work they do in the original editions of the game i'm sure they can come up with something cool and i'm looking forward to it there were some some questions asked on their website as well so i think some of these are quite funny this is where they've asked about lightning death watch as well but um someone has asked do you have an estimate on when you'll be releasing Wrath and Glory. And uh, the, the response is, we haven't given our official release date, but we're aiming for a late summer, summer timed around a particular gaming event that happens around that part of the year. So we speculate already that Gen Con's going to be... Gen like, Con, well, is, you know, so. absolutely, it's looking like it. I mean, it's the perfect opportunity and time to release a new game. Yep. It really is. But there's new stuff here. Someone has said, are there going to be any public alpha or beta testing or quick start rules to give the dueling masses some food? And the response that came from Ulysses was, we won't have public testing, but there will be a kickstart this year. This should be a couple of months before release. More information later. 
So um, kickstart. Yeah, uh, a, kick, a, a kickstart. A quick, quick, quick start. Oh, yeah. quick start! Quick Thank start, God yeah. for that. I was yeah, getting. So. I was about to get worried. Yeah, no, no, no. So they're not crowdfunding that, but like some sort of. I don't know, like a free RPG day thing. I'm not sure they said. It could be because someone else also said. Um, I at the time they said timing of this is very tricky. Without giving too much away, I will say that the initial release of the quick start is using a method that does not normally permit. So does not permit us to offer the information anywhere else until July. Industry savvy folks will be able to figure out what I'm talking about. I'm clearly not savvy because I don't know what he's talking about. But there you go. So they, the quick start would be July. Now they said that's when there's a couple months before that event in the summer. Gen Con, if it's Gen Con, is in in August. Um, so August is closer than a couple of months after July. But uh, and, and it's right, it's early August too. Normally, I think as well. I haven't got yeah, the exact yeah. dates. Actually, I bought tickets for it as well the other day, just in case I can get there. Because the good thing with Gen Con is, if you can't get there, you can refund your tickets any time, any time until July. Yeah. But it's going to depend. My my work travel is going to go down substantially this year because of just restructures in the business. So. Um, I'll see if I can still get there this year. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I can. If, if they are going to release it, I'd like to be there to sort of cover the, the release of the game as well. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should crowdfund it. <laughs> maybe we can do a Kickstarter to try and get, get James and Mike to Gen Con. Yeah, I'm uh, not sure we're going to earn too much, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> possibility. Yeah, that's it. Um, uh, yeah, that's something interesting. Is there a free RPG day thing before Gen Con? I yeah, yeah free RPG days earlier in the year. Um, I, I don't remember. Let me, let me see how my Google Foo is. I'm trying to. Because I believe one of podcast and Google. Because I believe one of the requirements of Free RPG Day is that the adventure is not available anywhere else. Okay, so um, Free RPG Day, according to this, is in normally. It was in June last year, June 16. Okay. Oh, sorry, no, June 16, 2018. Is this year? Yeah. So, so June Free RPG Day. You're not allowed to release something in free RPG day that is already Already available somewhere else or is going to be so they could release it there a quick start have it for free RPG day where everyone's lips and release for Gen Con that would be cool because Ulysses did provide um, the Torg Eternity uh, one for um, free RPG day last year as well yeah so I would go with that option okay that's my opinion take of it my Inside a game of knowledge is that you can't you can't release a, an adventure that's already released. Okay, so, you, so there you go, Mike. You are more savvy than I am. Yeah, <laughs> only because I remember reading it somewhere. Your savvy attribute is higher. <laughs> uh, all right, so video extra information there about um, the designer diary and, and looking forward to what we see in, in February as well. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to this discussion topic, shall we? Yep. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. Okay, so this part of the show, normally we do this as part of our um, community section, but we had an email from uh, a listener uh, by the name of Flailbot, who uh, had a good question, and I thought it might be worthwhile having a bit of a longer discussion about, at least long enough to fill a, a part of the segment of the show. We don't do a lot of sort of talks about general role-playing stuff now, so I think it's a good opportunity to, to actually do this once more. So first off, um, he, uh, he gave us some very nice comments about the show as well, uh, so thanks very much for that. Uh, I'll tackle this other question in the community section, which is about what we do our hardware and everything with. But uh, the main part he asked about was that um, he was interested in what we discussed with Wrath and Glory about having different levels of power level for characters in an RPG. And he's given an example from his own role-playing experiences where one player is asked if they can play a Space Marine and another wants to play an Imperial Guardsman. 
And uh, one thing he's thought about is actually giving the guardsman player the opportunity to actually play a whole squad of guardsmen. Um, so yeah, the power level mix is there that you know that squad is roughly equal to, to one marine. Now he's pointed out that you know there may be some mechanical implications there. How do you actually play five individual people with their own character sheet? Is that fair? Is it balanced? Is it easy to manage? Um, but I wanted to actually tack on. That. I wanted to expand that conversation a bit more and just talk about the general implications of um, multiple character playing in, in RPGs. Yeah. Because uh, you know we've we've already seen it somewhat with Only War. I mean, Only War you have the concept of the core character and the comrade. And in our only in our own only war campaign, you know, we really sort of fleshed out some of the comrades as well. Other people maybe not so much. Other people maybe it's you know they just use the mechanical benefits of the comrade. It's up to them. Uh, but I've certainly had a few games in the past where people have actually played multiple characters. Yeah. So going back to I mean even as early as I don't know if, I don't know if it was in first day Dungeons and Dragons, but certainly second day Dungeons and Dragons had the concept where when you reached a certain level. Provided you build a stronghold, you attracted followers. Fighters did. Yeah, fighters did. That's right. Yeah. So, um, and basically, so you would have you know, a group of lower level people who just sort of followed your character, and they were generally speaking too lower level to really be effective in the game. You know, they, they, you, know you you couldn't really take them into your encounters with you know big red dragons because they were just going to get minced straight away, but. You had opportunities to use them for, you know, for minor quests and send them out however you wanted. To, you and your GM wanted to manage it, uh, and they basically became another resource your character had. Yeah, I guess similar to in games where you might have things like contacts or you know retainers that sort of stuff. Moving on to say three point five at D and D, which we've been playing recently, to provide you've got a good enough charisma bonus, you can actually have a follower who is only Two a levels. couple of levels behind your actual group. Yeah. which is, in most cases, pretty on par with the challenge. A bit, bit behind, but certainly enough to bring along to your key fights. And especially if you've got a small group, uh, is good enough to fill a missing uh, missing party role. So in our D&D campaign, for example, our mage player was out for a while. So Mike took leadership on his character when we brought in an NPC sorcerer or such. And we've, we've retained that now that the mage player has returned. So we've got an extra character there. So we're now talking about a game where each of us have a character, multiple of us have, multiple of us have animal companions or familiars. You know, one person's got a retainer, and the GM likes D and D so much he's actually playing an NPC as a permanent part of the party as well. So it's, we're almost on par, I think, in terms of NPCs versus PCs, or possibly even a bit in the NPC favour. Yeah. I'll also relate just using D and D another story of I've probably even discussed this on the show once before in the past where one of my early experiences as a kid was getting invited to play in my sister's boyfriend's D&D campaign when I would have been like 11 or something you know so good on him for including his, his girlfriend's little brother but you know his campaign there was literally you all have two characters and you're playing two characters at all points in time and I guess what struck me or what, remind, what I think about with that, I think about that game is the fact that there was zero characterization. There was no talking as our characters. There was no playing as our characters. It was effectively a combat, combat to combat game, where our you know it's not even playing a board game. Our characters were simply the two icons or miniatures we have to move around the map 
and do the combats as we went from combat to combat and the most decision maker was deciding do we turn left or turn right at this intersection to which combat do we get into next yeah and I guess that's always the risk with multiple character play is that it's you know it's hard enough for the GM to manage multiple NPCs at once and I always hate as a GM the hardest thing I find is role playing a conversation where one NPC is talking to another NPC rather than to the characters you know and the characters want to hear the entirety of that conversation so you've got to find a way to act out two people having a conversation without looking like a tool Uh, (laughs) and by having multiple characters you push that somewhat onto the characters as well have you had gaming experiences where playing multiple characters has worked well to be honest not really a lot of the times it doesn't work very well it can um it, it depends, I suppose, whether you're playing the secondary character as an equal to the primary or if they're an underling. When they're underlings, it's a lot easier because, you know, you just get to assume that they're an underling, they're, they're following their boss's orders, they're they, not going to... They keep their mouth shut when they're not being asked things. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, all that sort of stuff. Like, the squire doesn't butt in all the time. He, he listens to the knight's advice and the knight leads the way. Um, in those situations, it's not a problem. And I think if it's two characters on the same level, it becomes a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. I, I generally find I have two major problems when it comes to um, having multiple, one player play multiple characters in the same game. Um, the first one is that I, I'm pretty bad for this as a GM, but um, in the past I've been blamed for targeting people's stuff. You know, so if I, you know, my character owns a mansion or your, your, your character owns a mansion in my game and I want to have some gravitas, you know, I might have the bad guys blow up the mansion. It's like, well, I spent points in that and it's frustrating, it's annoying to have my stuff just targeted because it's a soft option and such. And I worry that some GMs might see, you know, in, if, you, if you've got a group of five guardsmen, um, I can imagine a lot of GMs, you know, they will be dropping like flies here and there. Yeah. You might have a face character who is effectively your lead character, but... I, I really don't see them having an opportunity to survive, each of them survive very long to the point that you might start to not even bother characterising them. After if, they're, if they're getting involved in fights in a similar le- power level to a space marine, yeah, yeah. they're going to be dropping dead pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, they become fodder, in which case, you know, there is an opportunity to characterise them. They are no different from a, a servitor or other equipment you might put in your character because yeah. you don't stop to really... But it depends how many there are. Yeah. If you've got ten guardsmen, you might characterise three of them, in which case seven can die without it really having any impact, and you just have to keep fleshing out the three. Yeah, okay. I mean, as a gem, you might say, okay, you need to flesh out at least three of these people, the others are nameless, faceless nobodies, but there has to be a leader, a squad sergeant or whatever, who is your your person in the role-playing yeah, situation. maybe a, a corporal or two that are your actual sort of, you know... Lead, uh, I guess lead NPCs and then yeah. the rest of yeah fa- faceless red shirts <laughs> faceless red shirts and you know you might characterise the faceless red shirts occasionally but most of the time they're just getting killed yeah. and if you f- characterise one like in Star Trek you know the only time you ever see a red shirt and they, you learn their names you know something absolutely horrible is going to happen to them <laughs> and it's the same sort of thing yeah yeah. my second major issue is that um, often I see situations in games where players want to split up you know so We'll go this way, you go that way, and of course the advice we've given gems in the past is always to be careful with that and making sure that you give both sides equal playtime. You know, because it, there are benefits, I think, to being able to separate out and focus on what this group is doing individually while the other people watch. 
people that play multiple characters have a tendency I find to say okay one of me will go with this group and one of me will go with this group so that they are involved in both sides yeah. and that, that player effectively is yeah, you ha- you have, a bit of time yeah you space. have to be careful that they're not taking multiple characters just so they can do everything yeah um, so yeah I, I think in those situations where they're splitting up to say they always have to go together yeah you know, squad coherency <laughs> they always remember they're two inches of each other yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I mean uh, this is a, a minor thing but it, it's typical I think for role playing groups to say okay you know well, we've got a fighter we've got a mage so okay we need a rogue we need a cleric that sort of stuff you know groups tend to try to fill perceived holes even though like you know if I'm running something like D&D and if I had a group that said I'm going to play four mages that's fine I'll run an arcane heavy campaign and not have lots of you know melee combat because that's the sort of group campaign the group obviously wants but a lot of players do think, you know, we've got to try and have a well-rounded group. And you, know, you can usually do that in most game systems with four, five characters. And if you start adding in, you know, a bunch of NPCs as well, I think people that do that tend to try and make those NPCs slightly all-rounders. Yeah. And so they do run the risk of taking a bit of fire from the characters who are devoted to that, you know. Um, yeah, 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 that's always possible. I mean, I, I think... An important thing to keep in mind is, especially with this, we'll go back to the original statement, yeah. a group of guardsmen, you don't want there to be a tech priest in the group, you don't want there to be an ogrin and a rattling. Yeah, because that's right, it's five armsmen. Sort of it thing, should yes. be five armsmen, with yeah. a sergeant leading them, and build it around that. Don't make it a, a, a full party of characters controlled by one person. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, we've sort of doted on the negatives bit there. Let's sort of go onto the I guess the, the more positive side of this sort of thing is what we can, I think it is something that can work where you've got these, you know, asymmetrical gains where you can have one person who's much more powerful. Um, I think one of the we definitely, definitely have a face character. You've got to have a person who is, you know, the squad leader. The squad leader, you know, the person that you are perceived to be playing at all points in time. So you have to sit there saying, oh, I've got these five different coloured hats and depending on which colour hat I'm wearing is which in which which PC I'm talking at. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You want to sort of say, that, okay, by default, this is the person, unless I specifically quite otherwise, this is who you're dealing with. So you still have that one character and that the other characters there to simply build out their, their stats. The other thing I liked about the comrade system in Only War is it didn't ask you to go and make an entirely second character. It basically said that you've got a second character in the wings who has, realistically speaking, two stats, name and health level. Yeah. Um, and for argument purposes, if any time a stat is actually required, they are effectively a mirror of your main character. So I'd certainly encourage you to that where you don't go and try and push out different skills, different characteristics, different talents, because once again, there you, it feels like you're going for the total group coverage as a single player. You, know, you want to try and make it so that the more people you've got are there to bulk out what your character already does with way of numbers, not try to cover as many possible areas you know, as you can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that works quite well. So even if you just said, look, you know, here's the character I built as a guardsman. He's lower level than my um, space room, but he does, you know, he's duplicated multiple times. You know, um, and it also makes it easier if one dies. You know, if something happens and your lead character dies, you know, you could effectively just say, okay, the next guy with the exact same stats is steps promoted. up and, yeah. Which I suppose takes away the gravitas of character death other than the narrative and yeah. emotional conflict of it as such. It has no sort of yeah, statistical change on the game. But Yeah, yeah I don't see a problem with that at all. Um, I think a couple of bookkeeping points of view you should keep in mind. Yep. 
one initiative roll for everyone. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and probably run them as individual guys for their attacks, don't run them as a horde. Yeah. No, no, I wouldn't be able to play as a horde. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm looking at game systems like, so, I'm going back to D&D for a second here. Um, you didn't, you've only really played a lot of 3.5, you haven't played much 4th and 5th, have you? Not really. I played some 4th. So, so looking at 4th is a good example where if you look at classes that had, um, uh, like, minions or, or uh, pets. pets, for example, Pretty much, if you wanted your if you wanted to um, your pet to move, you had to use your move action to do that. If you wanted your pet to attack, you had to use an attack action that you had that basically triggered your pet. So, having a second like having that pet in the game didn't give you a second set of moves, a second set of attacks above more what everybody else had. It was simply, I guess, a version of your character who was co-located somewhere else and could do various things, you know, as as part of a standard character action. And I think that, although it didn't feel as powerful as, like, say, 3.5 did, where I have a whole pet who has a whole its own initiative and its own actions, I think it kept the whole thing a bit more balanced as well. It so, kept it faster, but I'm not sure it would really work in 40k. I mean, okay, so I can use my guardsmen for multiple places. That still doesn't put you on the same sort of stepping power level as a space marine, which is what we're trying to do. We're trying to balance it out. Yeah, but, I mean, could you do things, for example, where... So you've got five guys, rather than making five attack rolls, and I'm, I'm talking here about, the say, the, the Dark Heresy Road Trader system, not, not, you know, don't know what's going to be in the future, so this is just focused on as a rules thing for what we already have. You know, you make, your, you make a single ballistic skill roll to attack, for example, and every degree of success is an extra guardsman that's hit, up to a maximum of your total guardsman, so you can then okay, roll. Okay, so what happens with the accurate quality on the weapon? Or right. for auto-firing for how many shots are hit? Yeah. you've got to then start working out other house rules for how to deal with that yeah. it's easier just to say okay you get, they all go at the same time you've got five guys all with ballistic skill 30 that's five attack rolls most of them are going to miss anyway but there might be a grenade launcher guy in there who, who can throw out something and the rest can do suppressive fire actions or whatever yeah. um, I think that's an easier way of doing it don't boost their stats that, that's the other important thing is all initiative at the same time. If you're going to give them multiple guardsmen characters, don't make them better than guardsmen. Yeah. Don't suddenly make them as good as the space marine, because then what's the point of having the space marine there at all? Okay, I mean, so look at uh, FFG's Star Wars system, where you've yeah. got sort of mob MP, mob groups here as such. They work on a system that they have a set of skills that they effectively have no level in, and for each additional guy you add one level of the skill. So I'm just thinking about, you know, so say you take the example of a guardsman with 30 ballistic skill, and let's say you're to say, okay, rather than each degree assessment, we're going we're to say we make one attack roll, and we add plus 10 for each guard to the first, which is contributing. So you've got five guys in the squad, that's four, so you're plus 40, so now it's 70% ballistic skill. How would that compare, would you think, with, say, a space marine? Well, yeah. when he hits, he's still only doing a single las gun damage. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, that's the main thing is going to be that you've got, you're going to have a limitation there in terms of the number of... Yeah, you're only going to get one hit regardless, but... I think it'll come down a lot to the way the GM's running the game. They're going to have to adapt the way they're running it. If they're putting them up against a squad of Chaos Space Marines, don't do it. Because yeah. it's just not going to work. The Guardsmen yeah. are going to do nothing yeah. other than die. Yeah. But what you can do... and I did this in... Um, 
Dungeons and Dragons Second Ed because I had a fighter and I had followers and yes they were absolutely garbage yeah. but my followers would do things like fight the goblins and the orcs while we took care of the heavy lifting with the goblin chieftain and the sorcerers and the, the big nasty things and we just left the NPCs to do their thing but you've got to ask yourself then so I've said this and that's the thing before as well that you've got a low level follower and so there's now a low level threat the follower is involved in dealing with but the question would be would that low level threat have been there as well if you didn't bring followers to the table like the I see a lot of times GMs add in those low level things that followers can deal with because there are followers there in which case for the purposes of the game there is no difference between having a follower and not having a follower because if you don't have the follower you just fight the chieftain if you have followers, you fight the chieftain while the follower fights the mooks. Okay, so, so that raises the question then of going back to your all-mage D&D game. Yeah. Why have the opponents tailored to the mage group? Yeah, I suppose the difference... <laughs> if you're tailoring the game to the characters you've got and you know these followers are going to be there, yeah. you're going to be giving them missions where the followers actually have a reason to turn up. Yeah. I'd say it's... Because the difference here is, like, with, with most things that give you followers in D&D, for example, it has a cost to achieve that. Yes. You know, you've had to have actually taken a feat or spent points on something to actually get that. And so by the GM upping the ante because that's there, you've effectively spent points to buy something that you've is, is effectively counted straight away. Yeah. Um, you know, it would be like saying that, you know, I take a... a um, ability which means that my character is no longer susceptible to fire damage which means suddenly the GM has all the, all the NPCs start throwing out cold damage um, you know, the GM's basically invalidated your choice by doing that you need to make sure that when players take a choice and spend points on it that they are rewarded for that in some way Like the, you know, the, there, is, there is a measurable way that the benefit they receive actually is realised within the scope of the game yeah um, well that's fair enough yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that um, I think personally a bigger issue will be with the mooks versus mooks marine versus big guys yeah. is there's a perceptive glory loss for the players as well it's like you know the space marine gets to brag yeah I killed a dreadnought and the mooks get to go yeah we killed 30 Gretchen yeah. it's just it's going to be a struggle in those situations to make it feel like the the lesser characters are actually contributing an equal amount yeah so I mean I guess it comes back to what we talked about in the past with having combats with mixture of combat and non-combat characters is that because you've got low level moves doesn't mean that they have to be fighting low level opponents you know are there things that they could be doing that are not necessarily fighting which are just as important to you know achieving the actual outcome of the mission as such so I don't know the you know the hero sort of space marine keeps the chaos lord at bay while the group of guardsmen you know get inside the building and, and seize control of the gun emplacement to shoot down the ships that are, you know, coming to attack and such. Or set up the demolition charges, or do whatever it is they've got to do. Yeah, I mean, sure, they they have to kill a bunch of, you know, pissant mooks to actually get to that point, but they have still achieved something, you know, larger than just killing a bunch of armed men who are in their way. Yeah. So that's something I'll be looking at doing. Look, I think overall that there's nothing wrong with the whole idea of having, you you know, games with multiple people, sorry, games with people that have multiple characters, either as a game on its own, but as a keep in mind, when you do that, you will find less characterization than you would get in a game where everybody has one character. Yeah. Um, and actually, 
I'm going to draw a second parallel here. There were various points in my Dark Heresy campaign over the years where some players had multiple characters. Not they played at the same time, but they decided when they came to each game, today I'm going to play blah. Okay, usually our friend Pat would have a couple of characters that were both alive and well and you know, ready to use and would decide, okay, this particular adventure, I'm going to bring this guy. Um, that's also a possibility. Yep. Um, it does mean that you know, if one character is... You know, injured but survives that they can recuperate again I found that actually detracted from the characterization as well yeah because you got to I mean you got to you got to present multiple personalities and actually um, make sure they're actually all different as yeah well. it, it, it do it in a way that yeah it, it's meaningful to which character is actually there and, yeah. and then you know you as a player need to remember as well like which character saw what and what do I know about what as well so yeah, yeah. it does get more difficult um I don't see any inherent problem with this. You just have to keep in mind when you're writing the game that there are going to be issues. Mm -hmm. And not just from a bookkeeping point of view, but from a storytelling point of view, a characterisation point of view, you've got to find all these things and balance yeah. it evenly. Well, I mean, Salbert, I can tell from his email, he's, he's doing the number one right thing, which is it's been discussed with the GM. Yep. The player and the GM are discussing it, and they're coming to an agreed outcome, which is like... Straight away, it's, it's, it's you can't really go yeah, wrong. If number, you do number one tick, you know. I, I mean, worst case scenario, they you try it after you've had to talk about it. It doesn't work. You drop that idea of the guardsman group and you play them around. Yeah. Um, or you know, once again, the sort of concept that um, I've seen in a few cases is that okay, you want to have a guardsman and a marine playing alongside each other. That's okay. That guardsman isn't a you know frontline grunt. He is. A guy who's been through ten wars, yeah. you know, has, has he's a, has sly Marburg Mark too. That's right. Yeah. He's got a cybernetic arm, a cigar, and a bad attitude, and he's ready to kick some ass. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and he is functionally the same as a newly minted tactical marine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly possible. I mean, that's it. It comes down to the simple fact of you can either drag the guardsman up to the yeah. marine level, or you can drag the marine <laughs> down to the guardsman <laughs> level. Yeah. You know, a badly crippled, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder-affected marine who's absolutely no good for anything, washed That's up. Right. And come out of the remedial scout squad. You yeah, know. yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's up to you how you do it, as long as you balance it however you see fit. Yeah, because so that is that's true. There's multiple ways to be a character. Right? One way is to duplicate them. Other is simply to to boost their power level. And that doesn't mean giving the marine strength and power armor. You know, it, it can be. You know, if you look at the you know the FFG game rules. A character with a lot of talents is just as powerful with a, as a character with a lot of stats. Yeah. So if you yeah, you could you could just give him a load of XP to start with, where he can yeah. just spend it on stuff. And well, that's the way there. the system was designed. You know? yeah. a, a, a sorry, a, um, a marine in Death Watch has a certain number of XP that you know, was designed at the time to be in line with a Dark Heroes character that's XP. It didn't doesn't quite work out as you got high levels because of the way they changed buying things but you know the concept was there yeah so you could mix you know the whole the classic example we've seen so many times of the dark heresy inquisitor joining the death watch kill team yeah so but yeah I mean give it a try and see what works and you can always if you give the character five you get to play five characters and it's not working out for you you can always discuss ways with the character in which case you can reduce it back to one character and still have it be fun and effective if to say this isn't working out do you want to retire the character or should we try and find a way to work it with just the one guy yeah, yeah that's a possibility we just give them really 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 good gear so. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> alright so hopefully that helps I will answer Farbot's other question in the community section but let's um, should we jump into that now yeah
transcript path to the choir chamber message incoming. Okay, let's hold on for a second here, because Mike has pointed out in the break that, you know, that last conversation, we, we sort of disagreed on there. Like, you know, I was sort of on the line that, you know, you should you can do it, but don't tailor the game to that sort of style. And Mike was certainly, you know, yep, you can do it, but you should tailor the game to that. So rather than us continuing to argue the point, um, why don't you guys maybe send, you know, put a message on our Facebook page um, or sometimes or send us an email as well at uh, showatgrim.podcast.com give us your ideas and we can share them on the next show as well. So how would you handle a game where you've got, you know, one person with a high-level character, one person with a group of low-level characters? Uh, you never know, this could be important. We, as we've mentioned before, Timmy the Gaunt yes. may become a thing and you may be playing an entire squad of termagants or hormigants. Yep. Could be and, important and, and to and know. I want to see individual characterization. I want to see, you know, the... The, I mean, the hopes know, and dreams of the two different Termagants. Yeah, so yeah, we, we, you know, One wants to retire and become an orthopedic surgeon. You know, I mean, Timmy is a he's a he's a chipper youth, you know, with a with a ready ready to go out there and explore the galaxy and find his place in it. You know, there may be another Gorn out there who's seen and done it all and is really just you know jaded and you know is over the whole thing and I don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see this. You know, there should be a web comic or something of this. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I will say that uh, uh, Failbot did actually have another question for us, which we may have answered at some point in the show in the past, but we you know, may as well sort of update the information too. So, occasionally we do get asked about um, what do we use to do the show? How do, how do we do the show? And I've recently helped um, my friend uh, Ian, also known as GM Hooley from the D20 Radio Network, get his podcast off the ground, the Dice Ball Podcast, which is uh, a podcast devoted to the Genesis system by, by Fantasy Flight Games so do check out the Dice Ball podcast and, and GM Hooley and GM Caitlin and another GM I can't, I never can't remember run that one as well so if you like the the Star Wars system and you want to see what they do with Genesis and and, the, and also the new World of Terranoth they've announced as well for that then do check out the Dice Ball podcast uh, so the question was first off what do we use to record to edit to do the podcast um, we're a pretty unprofessional group here. I, I sort of started with, with big dreams, what we're going to do. So uh, I we use a, a Blue Yeti um, mic, uh, Blue Yeti Pro from, um, I think Yeti is the brand anyway. And the reason I got that one is because it has both a USB for standard um, Windows USB, but it's also got a, um, a three-pin cannon connector, like a microphone connector. Uh, the idea being that you can then plug it into a mixing board um, or into a conventional recording system. And the idea was that I was going to get a mixing board. I actually, I even work for a company which makes high-end mixing boards for, like, stadium sound. Um, but, you know, we've been using it for, on USB now for the past five years. And no problem. That's it, yeah. We do it in, you know, a room with a fan which creates noise. We've got, we haven't got shielding or we haven't got... I, had, I bought a pop filter we've never used... Um, so yes we've got an, an expensive microphone <laughs> um, but that's for it we record on Audacity um, which is the, probably the best free software out there I think for, for recording podcasts um, Also, we also use uh, Morphox Pro which is a, a piece of paid software um, not very expensive though. I use that to do the servitive voices um, and uh, I also use uh, I think it's Video Editor Pro is what we use to do the videos for YouTube as well so um, that's really it. I mean, the, we host our podcast through uh, Clever Dot, which is a US-based hosting company which graciously sells still sell services for unlimited bandwidth. So you know, we've hit some months with the podcast with downloads up to 11 gigabytes. 
uh, and no problem with MFP service charges or see slowdowns in our upload download rate as well. So that was really good, and they're, they're well priced too. But if you look, if you want to start a podcast, um, always say you know, uh, give, yeah, record a sample podcast. We we would have been into this sooner if we if I hadn't been discouraged early on. We went to the I went to friends and said, look, I'm thinking about doing a dark heresy podcast. Like, oh no, don't go to a podcast. Do a blog first. Well, if you can do a blog, you've got to do a podcast. But in the end, I said, look, screw it. I'm going. I'm going to go to the podcast. Yeah, the podcast was better than the blog. Created a sample um, episode, put it up, got a good response to it, and did it. But uh, another suggestion I can make is make sure you send emails to whoever you want to do your podcast about. Just let them know that you're doing it, so you don't get cease and desist letters. Yeah, I mean, I- even if all you're doing is saying, "Hey, we're doing one." If there's a problem, let us know. And we started this show back before GW were cool about it as well. So you know, yeah. we're very, we're it's not hard. You just just yeah. just do it. I mean, they're not going to say no because most of the time they just glance at the email and go, "Oh yeah," but you've done it. You've yeah. created a paper trail. That's all you need to do. And look, when we started as well, the guys at FFG not only said yes, but were really helpful. Yeah, we got in contact with Tim not long into doing the show, and yeah, um, you know, he helped us get in contact with others like like Sam and. Um, Max and um, uh, uh, Fish, uh, and yeah, they all came on the show as well. So that was that was really good. Like a lot of these sort of, you know, a lot of these games are created by fans of gaming themselves. So yeah. they're a part of the community as much as they are contributed to it. Um, last thing I'll say is that certainly the hardest thing I found about getting a podcast going, if you're not a coder, is creating an RSS file. So the most common misconception I see people getting into podcasts make is thinking that iTunes hosts your podcast. Okay, they don't. You have to have a web server somewhere that the actual MP3 file for the podcast is stored with an RSS file that points to all your episodes. And all iTunes does is syndicate your RSS feed. Um, you know, they, 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 there's no storage, there's no bandwidth. It's literally just they they read. They just your create RSS a finger file. point. Yeah, that's right, and put it on their put it on their service as such. And the same thing with things like Podbay or. Stitch or any of those sort of things, they just point to the RSS file. Uh, and getting ahead on the RSS file, if you don't know HTML, um, takes a little bit of working. You know, uh, if you know HTML, it should be pretty straightforward. There's plenty of sites out there which create... You should be able to Google it and, and look it up and see a basic template. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. Um, and uh, yeah, just make sure you find it which covers iTunes, because iTunes has specific meta tags you've got to put in just for iTunes, like putting out whether the show is explicit, that sort of stuff as well, you know, so... Yeah. Um, but yeah, once you've got the initial show up, yeah, just go to do a create an RSS feed, back it up, submit it to iTunes. It takes a week or so. I think it's like they're improving it now. There's a new, they're going for like two day approval times at the moment. Um, but then, yeah, there's your podcast started. So um, certainly, you know, we've had a fantastic time doing it over the last five years, and we're looking forward to doing it for for years more going forward as well. So indeed. Um, yeah, hopefully that helps. Um, yeah, so once again, audacity. You know, Blue Yeti Pro microphone, really good. We tried the microphones at the very start. They weren't as good. So, um, yeah, they sell these at the local sort of electronic stores here in, in Australia at a few hundred dollars. Actually, I think this one I had to buy from overseas because it wasn't out here yet, but it is actually sold in Australia now. Um, yeah, I hope that helps. If you, like Failbot, have questions, please do contact us. Um, our email is show at grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page, which I, I keep up to date but don't really check that much anymore, is plus.google.com slash plus sign Grimdart Podcast. And we tweet through at Grimdart Podcast as well. Sparingly. Spare, hey, 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 I've gotten back in. I, I tweeted pictures of my Imperial Knight as I was building it as well. You know, yeah. well, one picture anyway, just the legs. 
because I, I was very proud of my base. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, 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 I'm one of those people that a lot of my older miniatures just have unpainted black bases. Or goblin green. <laughs> goblin, yeah, goblin green with salamander green edging. Oh. But, but actually, I will tell you that I was cleaning my office today and I actually found a bag of the old Citadel colours I still had. Oh, you know, wow. so I had some bleached bone, I had some burnished gold, chaos were, black. Were know. they all completely solid? Um, generally speaking, the lighter the colour, the worse condition it was in. Okay. So the white, the bone, they were they were just solid masses. Um, the washes were all still good, um, and the uh, a lot of the darker colours, so the chaos black, um, the ultramarine blue, the dark angles green, they were all very good. Um, the only kicker was I, I debated whether to keep them or not. And the problem is that I think that, from what I understand, when they changed from the old colours to new colours, they also changed the Pantones. Yes. Uh, and so I couldn't just go and use... They also changed the medium they use as well. Yeah, so I couldn't just go and use ultramarine blue on top of McCrag blue and have, you know, there'd be a clear difference in the in the paint. So in the end I said, look, nostalgic are... Okay, put it in the bin. Done. Um, so... Flesh wash is the only the only difference there. There's loads of people who still desperately use flesh wash. Well, this is, I mean, after I threw it out as well, I was telling um, the guy at local GW here saying you should have kept the washes because the the washes they had were really good. Yeah. The old Citadel washes. Oh, the old so. Citadel washes. There are people always desperately after them. I see it on Facebook all the time. Okay, well. It's strange, but yeah, they're big fans of the old flesh wash. Yeah, well, if you want to go to my local council garbage tip, you might find the bag of... It's, it's one of those old... You know, tan citadel bags, or little, oh, little plastic ooh. bags. Yeah, you can try and find. No, that. it's all right. Yeah. I'll pass. <laughs> Not yeah, that yeah. desperate. Get it on eBay. That's it. Um, but yeah, so uh, I, I have been trying to. Oh, what's the other thing I posted about the fact that uh, um, I, I discovered recently that I obviously talk too much about 40k on my phone because occasionally my phone will offer things that are clearly 40kism. So. I was typing, I think it was like um, last night on my phone and I inadvertently left out the space so it was just like L-A-S-T and I-G-H-T and my phone offered LAS pistol as a uh, <laughs> as, as a predictive text yeah. so yeah so, so I posted out on, on Twitter you know there's a little funny stuff like that if I get a couple of likes fantastic if not then who cares you know it's, it's Twitter um, but anyway so but we do also post out new shows there as well so yeah, uh, it's, it's a place to follow us. And what we also do is we do like and retweet tweet a lot of the stuff from Ulysses, um, from Fantasy Fight if it's relevant, from GW if we can. So we, we do follow and also retweet those services. And we um, contrapost with a lot of podcasts. So um, things like Once Again the Dice World podcast, um, the Total Party Thrill podcast. Um, there's an, a few, so, so I, I, I'm tired. It's late. Um, but yeah, the pizza podcast we do also um, post with on Twitter plenty of times, and yep. yeah, I, 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 I love that community of podcasts through Twitter as well. So okay. Anyway, if you do have something to say, please do contact us. Um, we've got a, we'll have another show coming up. Probably, I'm thinking this like one show a month is working right now, up until the new game comes out. You know, once the new game comes out, we'll be trying to put it out more. Yeah, because we like, we'll have we be able to talk about things like the, these archetypes, and we know more about what they are. You know, um, the setting material more as well. Uh, I'm sure that we'll have a, have a chat with Ross again, and he'll be able to say a lot more about the about the game once it's out as well. Yeah. Um, but I think for now, let's just focus on get out one good episode every month uh, through until summer at a unnamed gaming convention when we should see that. Well, maybe even sooner at some industry event. There may be something in you know around July. So. Yeah. But uh, anyway, hope you, hope you still enjoy it and keep following the show. We will certainly see you next time. 
Mike, thanks very much for your help once again. Thank you very much. And we will see you soon. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Ames Workshop or Ulysses North America. One forty thousand Wrath and Glory, Dark Heresy, Road Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Ulysses North America is a trademark of Ulysses Media and Spiel Distribution GmbH. All other materials are trademarks of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grim Dark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music was composed by Jens Kuffer and is used under license.